detail of a cartoon I watched in 1996, but in Unsolved Mysteries I watched yesterday. I'm like, what? Was someone missing? I... <laughs> was Robert Stack in this? I don't remember. Was there a ghost? Was there a sperm in the sky? I don't know. So, okay. So this is perhaps it's you. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome. It's an unofficial Unsolved Mysteries rewatch podcast. Did you used to watch Unsolved Mysteries maybe with your grandparents Maybe at the dinner table? I see a lot of people on Twitter talking about being traumatized by watching Unsolved Mysteries with their grandparents, and they're like, oh, now I have an anxiety disorder. (laughs) Huh. Weird. Weird. I wonder if those are two are related. Yeah. Anyway, we're here to talk about that show that used to give you nightmares. Yep. My name is Liz. My name is Samantha. Robert Stack is not here, but we like to think... He's here in spirit. ...that his spirit approves of this program. I assume he does. Why not? We have only but nice Except things to say. Except we're making fun of his high-waist pants like we did in the last episode. <laughs> Why are they so high, though? I don't know. Why Just because so you're an pl- old man does not mean your pants have to go up that high. Why are they so pleated? Why so many pleats? <laughs> so mysteries Is that going to come back solved. any minute, though? God, I don't know. Pleated pants for men. Let's hope not. I don't know. It all comes back. <laughs> if acid-washed jeans can come back, man... Anything could come back. Anything could come back. No frosted, safe. frosted tip hair. When's that coming back? Any minute. They're trying to bring back the juicy tracksuit. It's true. So if you got one of those in the back of your closet, pull it out. It's time. <laughs> time for it to shine. You know, that's not... I'm not mad about it. No, because it's comfy as yeah. hell. I don't know that I'm going to like strut around in my Ugg boots thinking I look great, but no. for some quality... Well, first of all, Ugg boots are too expensive. They so are. Not worth it. I hate the toe of them. Yeah. It's just like, Mwah. You know yeah. what I mean? Also, not cut out for actual winter. This may be an unpopular opinion, but I need some sorrels to get through Minnesota winters. They they don't have a plastic part. Yeah. They they must get to soak it in, right? I've never been able to afford them. Yeah, who, so knows? Who, who, knows? I, who knows? Let's just spend the rest of this podcast speculating about Ugg boots. <laughs> We've gone to weird places before. That's, yeah, not the weirdest Certainly thing not we've the, talked about. Certainly not. Far. I am so ready for a nap. Yeah, me too. We're going to rush through this. (laughs) Also, Samantha and I yesterday had some people over to do like a Halloween movie night type of thing. Mm -hmm. And we all made like fall foods. Like basically like Thanksgiving sort of. We all, my favorite part of the evening possibly was after we had laid out our spread and we were all just standing around looking at it and we were just like, we rock. Like, we're really good at we're this. We're the best. Is, is your friend group vibe church ladies in a basement? Because yeah. that's ours and I'm here for it. Yeah. If church ladies got together and then watched Death Becomes Her, like, mm-hmm. I probably and would Practical to, magic. I would probably go to night. church if that's what church was like. Hell Yeah. Because I love a potluck. Oh, yeah. We had crock pots. We had homemade applesauce. We had an apple salad. We had cider. We had Stuffing. sweet potato, mashed potatoes. Yeah. It was meatloaf. It was freaking lovely. Everything. That meatloaf was really good. Liz made pumpkin meatloaf from a vintage cookbook, and it was fabulous. The secret to meatloaf, guys, this is also from my mother. If you used her cranberry sauce recipe, which I hope you did, meatloaf, don't spread ketchup on the top. No. That's gross. Bacon. Yeah. Put some bacon on the top of that meatloaf. Also, do you not want to baste your Thanksgiving turkey? My mom's got you covered. Wrap that thing in bacon. Genius. Keeps it moist. Also, you are really resourceful and were able to heat up your meatloaf without a stove since your stove self-destructed. <laughs> it still was not really heated, <laughs> but whatever. Which we talked about in our last episode. 
The great thing about vintage Pyrex, everyone, which I have a whole case of right here, is it really goes from oven to table. Uh-huh. So say you thought you were going to have an oven to reheat your meatloaf that you made for your friends. It turns out your oven exploded. Just put that sucker on the stove. Yeah. Why? What? What is happening? <laughs> What are so, we talking about? Fall is a great time of year. We have a our friends just go all out. Everybody is just like at their best, and now it's and then it's like okay, hibernation time. See you in a couple months. That's kind of how it works. Yeah, we know it's the last hurrah <laughs> before the long night, and we look it up. Oh, oh, today is the first snow. Okay, in in every other way, I'm pissed that it's snowing, but. I did make a vow to myself that at the first sight of snow, I was going to buy the complete series of Law and Order on DVD. Amazing. And that's how I'm going to spend my winter. I love it. So I guess I'm ordering that today. You've earned it. That's exciting. <laughs> because we're celebrating. I have not seen a lot of those early ones. Yeah. So like before McCoy, what? The Ben Stone years? I don't know that I've seen any of those. Yeah. Well, he right. got like mad about Janet Reno and moved to Canada. The actor did, so he like left the show. And okay. Anyway, hmm. it's a very '90s thing to say. Um, Do you have any updates? I really don't. If you're confused about how we're still talking about the first snow in this episode, <laughs> we're recording two episodes today. So yeah. last week you listened to episode two. And we're recording it on the same day. We're recording the first episode snow three. Has been going for a week. <laughs> everyone it's still they going. probably weren't even surprised because no. of how much we complain we on just, this show they're like oh it's still it's snowing too hot they're still it's complaining too snowy. listen wait, wait, wait. before you complain about our complaining <laughs> to podcast i don't know if you realize this actually you probably do because i'm sure we've complained about it on the show before <laughs> in the winter you have to turn off the heat in the summer you have to turn off the air conditioning we have a brief window in minnesota where it's like just the perfect <laughs> weather you don't need one of those two things on we missed it because we were taking a break <laughs> So, Liz is in a fuzzy bathrobe. I have an afghan on my lap because it's freezing in here because we have to turn the heat off. That's what we do We're doing that for you. You're welcome. You better solve some mysteries to make up for it. You better make it worthwhile. (laughs) Yeah. Catch a ghost in a jar or catch a Send it to us. Actually, don't. Oh, my God. No. We don't want to get that in the mail. Send us snacks, actually. Send us snacks. There's a contact link at our website that has an address. (laughs) That's at PrimeSinsDew.com. You can find where to send those snacks. Yep. No, not ghosts. We don't want those. Bottled up ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> I'm picturing it as a little ghost. Like yeah, the cartoon like, just floating in there. Uh, I kind of want it. That would be really cute if it was that. But I, I, I feel like it would actually be much uh, more sinister. Only on our show would we be like, please don't send us bottled up ghosts. <laughs> okay. Someone's Fine. like, puts the bottle away. Like, oh. <laughs> But I finally had something to do with this thing. It's got like the old cork in it, you know. <laughs> All right. Should we get into this episode? We're listening. or listening. You're listening to us talk about an episode of Unsolved Mysteries we watched. With which our is eyeballs. Season three, episode three. Yes. And I have the first mystery, which is a wanted. This mm-hmm. is another sweetheart swindler case. Yeah. Which is a certain type of seductive con man who comes into a woman's life makes them think they're in love and then mm-hmm. drains them of all their money. Do you think there's still sweetheart swindlers or do you think they've all moved on to catfishing? Yeah, I mean, I guess maybe is catfishing that the same is, thing? is just a modern form of sweetheart swindling, except do catfish people... Catfish people? Do catfish people usually get any money out of it or is it just for like... I think so, yeah. Weird laughs. Yeah, because if you watch like Dr. Phil, which... 
occasionally you'll see profiles of like usually the same type of victim as in these sweetheart swindlers. It's like an older woman and someone online convinces them that they're in love and then you know, they'll do the whole thing where it's like, oh, I'm traveling in Europe and I can't get back. Will you wire me $5,000? Right. Like, and people do fall for that. Hmm. So that is kind of sweetheart swindling. Like when you just asked me to wire you $5,000? Yeah, but I really need $5,000. <laughs> oh, well, that's different though. <laughs> so this is the case of Edward Maynard. And um, before we begin... You know, everybody has an accent, and I want you to speak in your own natural voice. But in this segment, we learn that Robert Stack says the word salon really weird. <laughs> that was my note! He says it, like, French or something? Salon. Every uh, We're talking about a hair salon. <laughs> not, like, the salon where people in the Renaissance sat around and, like, talked about art. My only note we're on your case is the way Robert Stack says salon, capital LOL. It's... It's bizarre. Yeah. Because it, it doesn't fit the rest of his enunciations. If oh, Only it would work if he was saying attache case in the same sentence. Yeah. But otherwise, no. It's like, oh, she was a successful businesswoman. She owned a salon. 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 <laughs> Why is he saying it like I that? I don't know. I don't understand. Anyway, look, have I been made fun of for the way I say words? Yes. So uh-huh. I probably shouldn't pick on him, but also. Belly. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even mean that. I meant, all right, I'm going to say it. This is how I say the word button. What's wrong with that? Yeah, see, you're from the Midwest. Oh, okay. (laughs) That's how I say it. I say it like there's two D's in the middle of button. Oh, okay. All all my T's are D's. It's fine. I know. But I, whatever. The world's ending. Who cares how someone says the word button? Or salon, I guess. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess. Okay. So, this starts out. Where we see a the one of the victims is a successful hair salon owner that they're calling Catherine because she's embarrassed. Don't you embarrassed. mean hair salon? No, because I can't even do it right. <laughs> I can't even do it the salon. <laughs> you have to talk a little bit like Gaston or something. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I feel like. No when one I say says that. salon like, like Gaston. <laughs> exactly. So, quote unquote, Catherine in September of 1968 met Maynard at a singles party. He was using the name Eric Kessler. What were singles parties like? See, yeah, they didn't have the apps. You had to, like, go to a place to meet people. Yeah. You had to talk to them face to face. How awkward must that have been? Yeah. I can only... I mean, maybe it's just my introverted self. Like, I'd rather be talking to you through a screen, but... No, it it seems awkward. It sounds like my waking nightmare. It sounds like a job interview for sex. Yeah. You know, like, go and network to find romantic love. Yeah. Ew. No, thank you. You end up with people like this. Well, yeah. Also, yeah, people, like in anything, will try to take advantage. So, the shot of them is very classy, though. They're in these, like, overstuffed chairs. Oh, yeah. Having just a polite conversation about business. And the sweetheart swindler, going by Eric Kessler, claims to be a successful businessman who is staying in the area for a year. And she tells him about her salon business. And he's like, oh, it's such happenstance that we meet because I know of this great invention that could help you. So when they start interacting, it's not even romantic. It's like an investment for her. Sure. And the invention that he knows of (laughs) is 
My favorite thing that's been on Unsolved Mysteries yet. Pretty sure. It is. I actually remember very briefly when Salons had these. So this is it. What he is telling her to invest in is a computerized video makeover. Oh yeah. And she goes to the most like late 80s room you've ever seen, which is those sort of like gray but also neon pastels. Yeah. And a guy. My was- pick for MVM is this guy. A guy, which we didn't have an MVM last mu- episode. There were like no mustaches. Oh, yeah. There was just like none. There were a few cop mustaches in the very last segment. But they were just like unremarkable. Yeah, we didn't I even for- talk about I that. forgot to mention that last time. Hmm. If you're wondering where is the MVM, there just wasn't one. Yeah, I'm sorry. Really, I'm sorry there wasn't. But so, this guy, this my guy pick. has, you know how weird Al has that like super thick curly hair? Jet black, this guy has. Imagine, yeah, that that hair type, but it's jet black and a mullet, but uh-huh. that mullet is super long. Uh-huh. And he's got a matching mustache. Yes. And he's sitting in a place that looks like it might have been His job a... is to give you a makeover yeah. via a computer. And he's sitting in a place that looks like it might have been a set on Saved by the Bell. <laughs> Or the Peach Pit from 90210. Yep. It has that kind of vibe. And he's showing her on a computer how you can put in a photo of someone and then edit it to make it look like it had they have different haircuts. Yeah. I honestly remember when very briefly Salons had this and you could like see what you would look like with a really badly photoshopped <laughs> version of like, this is what you would look like as a redhead. Like you can't fucking imagine it. Yeah, I don't understand. It's it like, was not good. Because... The quality of it is so poor. There's no way that your imagination is worse than it being <laughs> than like, this oh, looks yeah, like. to show it like a little bit shorter, you just move this stylus here. It's just like, that's all you have to do? The video makeover is amazing. Yeah. I don't even know if that guy was in on the scam or what. It seemed like that part of it was legit. I think, yeah. They, we never get back to that, so no. I guess so. So anyway, she's really excited about the video makeover system and wants to invest in it. And she they want to, like, bring it into department stores, and she's going to, like, have it in her salon and other salons. I don't even know. But she needs money, so she goes to a wealthy friend, and she gets a loan for 50 grand. Like, That's a lot. Just seemingly, like, it's nothing. Yeah. She, like, goes and she just tells her... It's like, if I was like, oh, Samantha, I learned about this thing and it's so cool. If only I could invest. And then you were just like, oh, oh. here. Here's 50 grand. Yeah. I'll write you a check right now. Good friend to have. I guess. So she's like, okay, because Eric Kessler is going to, like, pay it back later once they make the money off this investment. So... The two of them go into business together. They have a business account that's in Catherine's name. He insists. So, like, in theory, she has control of the finances. And when does it get start getting romantic? Because it does. So, a few days after that, he moves into the basement of her house so that they can work on the business together. Which, I don't understand that step at all. But it's still, like, not a romantic relationship. He's like, oh, we're going to be working so closely together. Doing what? getting the video makeover to stores i don't understand that he needed to be in her basement i guess the idea was that she was going to be at work at her hair salon all day (laughs) and when she came back they could work in the basement why did he need to live there i have no idea there's a really great like they're like oh we got a bit of a phone business line and it's just like the i don't know clunkiest landline phone (laughs) but hey it was state of the art sure so um I don't get what's appealing about this at all. That's why I started studying. Because 
It is baffling. When does he buy her the bed? Like, that yeah, is the creepiest thing. Yeah, no. That's what I was coming to and just going, what? Ew. So he moves into her basement. They're still not, like, dating or anything. And then they sort of skipped over the part where it got romantic. I think he tells her that he's fallen in love with her and she's very charmed. And the gesture he makes of this is that he buys her a new bed. That he essentially is like, hey, baby, your bed is too small for all the banging we're going to be doing. So here's a king size bed. And they like show this reenactment of her coming home and finding this bed. Even in the reenactment, she's like, oh, okay. That is definitely a decision I would want to be included on. Yeah. Also, it, it seems like it took up the whole bedroom. I know. <laughs> like, I don't think that was a room that could hold a king-size bed. Yeah. I don't think that was a good decision. No. And it's also creepy as hell. Yeah. Don't do that. If you've been dating someone days, maybe don't buy them a bed. Ew. And even in the, re- in the reenactment, he's like, yeah, this bed isn't big enough for us. Okay, so, yeah, this bed isn't big She's like, oh. Okay. Thanks. Honey. But the thing is, he's, like, woven himself so into her life that it gets, like, harder and harder mm-hmm. for her to stop. That's the ingenious part of it, is that she's not seeing him as a threat in any way, and he's already moved into her house. Right. So, and apparently there was three weeks in between him moving in and buying this bed. That's so soon. Yeah. And after that, you know, the, the snare is snared yeah well he starts they describe it as depriving her of sleep yeah so she would work all day at the salon and then come home and he would force her like they would go out to a party or something and then come back it'd be like three in the morning and he would be like now we have to sit down and go through the books yeah he was like depriving her of sleep he starts controlling every decision what she can wear she said that she wouldn't have even bought a pair of earrings without asking him first because she just feels like stripped of her confidence because Mm -hmm. he's so overbearing yep and he they show this scene where he convinces her to lease a cadillac with several expenses additions and she's going like wow this is a ton of money i don't think this is a good idea it was like 450 dollars a month which, which is a lot today is, yeah then would have been huge that's like your mortgage yeah. or whatever and he's like you can't even make simple business decisions and how can you not see that this is a good idea? Except he's saying it in like a very fake German accent, so it's terrifying. It's so patronizing too. And they're sitting in front. I don't know if this is word for word what happened, but they're sitting in front of the guy who's explaining the features of the car. And she's like, "I don't know. I'm not sure if I, how I feel about this." And he's like, "Why are you wasting this man's time?" Yeah, he's like very demeaning to her in order to control her because yeah. then she's embarrassed and she agrees more quickly, and then later feels bad that she agreed, mm-hmm. but really. This is like some, I don't know if this counts as gaslighting, but it's kind of along those lines. I think so. Yeah. It's definitely manipulative and abusive. Yeah. Um, So he starts asking for large cash advances that were supposed to be going to like their business manager and all these other employees that she hadn't actually met. Um, He's having her pay so many invoices that she has to put in $27,000 of her own money into the business, which I'm sure she couldn't afford. And it's at this point that she realizes he's a con artist. Yep. And when she confronts him about it, he's like, what are you going to do? Everything's been in your name. You've approved all of the decisions. It's your word against mine. Shady. So... 
It says eventually Kessler ended the relationship and moved out. I think she just ran out of money. Yeah. So she was no longer of use to him. I think she confronted him, but it was sort of kind of already too late, sadly. Like, the money was gone. And he moves out. And then the day that he was supposed to repay that initial loan from her friend came. And she meets him at a bar. And she's like, what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to go to my friend's house right now and write her a check for 50 grand. And he's like, yeah, just go do that. And she was like, well, I don't have 50 grand because you took all my money. And he's like, no, I'm getting a check by a special courier. And it's coming in the morning. And, like, just write it from the account. It'll be fine. And she was like, look, part of me knew this wasn't going to work. But I really needed it to work. Yeah. So I chose to believe it. So she goes, and they have this hilarious reenactment of her very slowly and nervously writing the check and, like, looking around. (laughs) Like, oh, no, I don't really have $50,000. And then... Whatever. So she gives her friend this check that's worthless. And she goes home, goes to sleep. And they show her being woken up in the morning by a call on her pink princess phone. (laughs) Which she picks up and it's the bartender looking for the sweetheart swindler because he ran out on his $1,000 check. Yeah. And that's when she realized for sure that this money was never coming. Yeah. Also, he wrote her phone number down on his receipt. Yep. Dick move. Because, yeah, he could have written anything. You know what I mean? Like, you could have just made something up. One, two, three, four. Yeah, like... But no, he wrote her phone number. Of course. Anyway. So, in the end, she had lost $75,000. She was forced to go into bankruptcy. I know. She couldn't pay for her children's education. She had to sell her business and eventually moved out of state because she was so, like, humiliated and broken. And when she eventually, like, went and talked to the police, she found out that he was actually con man Edward Maynard, and he had done this to several other women. So the case first aired in September. Whoa, that was not a, why. Where am I reading September? February twenty seventh, nineteen ninety one. And viewers' tips led authorities to Naples, Florida, where he was living under the a- alias Eric Kelly. He had recently been involved with a woman called "quote unquote" Anne that he had persuaded her to loan him $15,000 and then left. He had done the same thing in San Antonio. And they show this reenactment where he's, like, screaming at this woman in the car, like, I need $500 right now! Like, way less suave. Yeah. Where And she was just... She basically gave it to him because she was scared for her life. And then ran. Yeah. And then was like... And then I never saw him again. Which, fair. Yep. So, after four days viewers tips got them to houston texas where he was at the time and he was arrested by the fbi however he was released on bail and he fled why is anyone surprised of course he did he's not yeah i realize most people released on bail show up most like the Mm -hmm. vast majority of people show up these type of con men aren't aren't coming like their whole life is lying and scamming yeah what do you think's gonna happen yeah so three years later so he was he fled and was fine for three years to keep doing whatever he was eventually captured in toledo ohio he was sentenced to seven and a half years served five and has since been released doesn't seem like enough it really doesn't also they show his actual picture this man's face looks like it's made of pizza dough i have to say what really holds me back in this case and i like that these sweethearts they're always very sympathetic to the victims they're not victim blamey and i appreciate it but i'm not gonna fall for some old businessman no No thanks oh my god particularly one with a fake german accent who always sounds like he's yelling at me Uh nothing about this was romantic at all 
But clearly, he was good at picking his victims, and he's very manipulative, and he had worked out a system that worked, and he sounds like a douchebag. So if your mom is going to a singles party... Warn her. Warn, just say, don't, don't, don't go for business. Just go for banging. Yeah. <laughs> I like that advice. Look, if you're... Don't invest any money with people you meet at the singles thing. That's not what it's for. Yeah. Go and meet people Don't and let them buy you a new bed to bang in. Your bed yes, is fine. Your bed is fine. Or go to the hotel, whatever. You have a car. But don't start writing people checks. Yeah. Don't be paying people. That's where the problem is. Yeah. That's my advice to your mom. <laughs> and the people she should be banging. That's right. Your mom. Okay. That's right. that first case. Is this episode only wanted? What was the other one you have? Wanted. A lost love? I don't remember. This one's a wanted, though. Uh, yeah, It's three wanted and one missing person. Weird. Yeah. So at the beginning of this episode, Robert's text says oh, something this that's... one? Yeah. Oh! Be prepared for a lot of indecipherable, angry screaming coming from I me. Know. So... Oh, I'm, I'm glad we're not bringing politics into this show I'm because glad. there's definitely nothing about this that has any relevance to today. I when, can't even like see straight. I'm already so angry. How could I? For, I pushed this out of my mind that this was in this episode because I don't want to deal with it. This is the quote from Robert Stack: "The crime of rape, which content warning for this episode, you guys. Oh, for sure, for sure. If sexual assault. We're definitely gonna be talking about it. I'm sorry. You may want to skip ahead if that's not something you want to hear." Robert Stack says the crime of rape is a tragic and all too frequent fact of life in the United States. Sadly, the stigma attached to women who are victimized means such crimes often go unreported. Also true. This is especially true of date rape, says Robert Stack, where the victim knows and even trusts the man who rapes her. Huh. I'm so glad we've moved beyond this. I like that this is just being stated as fact and no one seems to really object. Mm -hmm. No one's saying, oh yeah, where's the proof? Mm-hmm. where's the video footage where's the signatures i don't know what sort of proof people expect i don't even I, yeah this it's, is oh my god it's so frustrating to me that as women we are told to constantly take precautions against rape constantly we the are lists told, are endless what to wear what times to go outside don't think wear of, a ponytail think of how ridiculous it is to tell a person what times they should be outdoors yeah, that we're supposed to be like carrying keys between our fingers and Bring holding an umbrella an so you can club and people. not parking in certain places. Don't rent and, an apartment that's on the first floor. Yeah, it goes on and on and on. And yet, say something were to happen. Oh well, that's not very believable. Really, the thing you constantly <laughs> warn us about all day, every day, it's not likely it happened. Like, is it common or not? Am I supposed to be worried about it or not? Like, yeah. it's. You're supposed to live in complete terror until it actually happens. And then it's like, well, where's the proof? That's probably not going to happen. I just told you to never go in a parking garage for fun. <laughs> oh, my God. I know. I'm it's, sorry. It's insane. And uh, yeah, here we go. This is a this is a rough one. It's it's rough. I'm sorry. In the reenactment, we see a bar in Bakersfield, California in the 80s. Uh, the 80s fashion is on full display. Yep. And it's good. That's the best part of it. We see Patty Roberts and Stephanie Phillips. That's not their real names. They're shooting pool when they are approached by a friend of Stephanie's who introduces them to his companion, Dr. Kenneth Frank. Garbage Dr. Kenneth Frank. I absolutely hate this man. And also, he's wearing the worst glasses I've ever seen. Oh, my God. They're awful. They are 
you know, the larger glasses that were in style at the time. But then at the top is like so thick. The like bridge part over the nose is just like I don't understand really how they are not thick. constantly falling down his nose. They, maybe they, they are. Look so heavy yeah. and that's I mean, it's the best part about him, but they're the worst glasses I've ever seen. <laughs> So the four of them go get drinks together and sit around talking. Patty felt that Dr. Frank was a kind and interesting man. When she told him that she was going to school to be a dental assistant, he said that he could help her get a job. See, again, don't, no no business. Don't bring (laughs) business into it. It makes, it's not her fault, of course, at all. But it's just. So yeah, Patty. It makes him seem less creepy, right? Like he's saying he's interested in her like professionally. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's like, oh, it, it okay. takes that her seems off. legit. It, she's like not on guard because right. of that. So Patty excuses herself to go to the bathroom. And this I don't understand. When she came back a few minutes later, Stephanie and the other two friends had left, leaving her alone with Dr. Frank. Where her did friend, they go? Her friends suck. Yeah. I Again, not their fault, but who just does that? And I think part of, part of it, too, is like, okay, he's a doctor. So, like, why wouldn't we trust doctors? See, I made a note. Like, we revere doctors too much yeah and so she's like oh a doctor yeah like and then everybody just like instantly trusts him i know so i think i don't know where they went that's never mentioned but her th- friends are terrible i would never do that she, no. how long was she in the fucking bathroom they all just left her yeah. they're like oh it's getting late bye yeah and so like i realize this is a different time but it's, but also, it's like it's baffling it's to me it's also ridiculous that we're like oh but obviously i would always go with a bodyguard yeah it's like, not acceptable like but we should be able to go to a bar by ourselves. But like, I never would, and, and all my friends would never. And you wouldn't just leave your friend there yeah. and not even tell her you were leaving with someone you just met. Like, unless she's like cool with it. Yeah, they didn't even ask her. No, they just disappeared while she was in the bathroom. I mean, I'm assuming that someone wanted to go get laid. Probably. And they were like, "Well, but check in first. Be like, yeah. Do you mind if I go get laid? Are you cool? Yeah, yeah that would have been the right thing to do. Yeah." Because it doesn't seem like she had another ride home. No. It's so shitty. She actually specifically did not have another ride home. So shitty. Okay, so Dr. Frank offered to take Patty home, and at first she was hesitant, but then finally she was like, okay, because yeah, she had no other option. Well, she was like, she's like, oh, they'll be back. And he's like, no, they left. And she waits for them for a while, and they don't come back. She like can't believe her friends would just ditch her. I can't believe her friends would just ditch her. I smacks to all of them so he took her to his apartment so that she could get the referral about the dentist job yeah okay while there she began complaining of a chest cold he made her a special coffee drink that he claimed would rid her of her cold see again it's because he's a doctor that she's like oh okay Mm -hmm. otherwise i feel like you would be very suspicious of that yeah maybe maybe yeah i mean you shouldn't have to be yeah Soon after drinking the coffee, Patty noticed that her eyes were getting blurry and that her ears were ringing, and then she passed out. So this is Saturday night. Patty would not wake up again until Monday morning. When he, like, hostily wakes her up and is like, I need to get to work. Mm -hmm. Like, well, maybe you shouldn't have fucking drugged me for an entire weekend. Yeah. She loses, like, a whole day. That's insane. After waking up, she realized that Dr. Frank had assaulted her. Still tired and groggy, she had him drive her to her apartment complex. Before she left the car, he told her that she should not tell anyone about the rape. As she entered her apartment, she realized that he was still watching her from across the street. It's terrifying. Because she lives in a really big complex. So she was like, okay, just drop me off here. Because he won't know where she lives. But then she realizes he's waiting. 
So he's watching her like walk to her specific apartment door. This is honestly, I mean, this whole segment and this whole situation is terrible, but this is the part that like got to me where like you wake up realizing that this man assaulted you and then you have no other choice but to let him drive you home and then as you're driving there processing what just happened you realize that he's gonna know where you live and he just threatened to kill you if you tell anyone so then you have him drop you off you know a few blocks away he watches you walk to your apartment you turn around and he's staring at you from across like this is it's terrifying it's a worse nightmare scenario it's awful so so horrifying So Patty is still feeling sick. She took a shower and then went to her aunt's home. She continued to feel the effects of the drug for the rest of the day. He talked so much. She was out for an entire day and still groggy afterwards. And she still got sick. Yeah, she was so overcome by fear and embarrassment that she did not want to go to the police. I mean... Which... It's not that surprising, considering the way victims get treated. Yeah. Still today. Yeah, why would she? No. I know. Honestly, why? you're not gonna get believed and maybe your rapist will end up on the supreme court so yeah what's the point so a week later patty returned to the bar only to have dr frank come up to her again what how fucking brazen is this guy he's extremely brazen and i i feel like that's the doctor thing too he just feels like untouchable Uh so he acts as if nothing is wrong and then she this is major prop star she decides to play along and attempt to get him to admit to his crime yeah he admitted to placing a sedative in her drink so what she says in the reenactment is she's like so that was some wild stuff you gave me like what was it she's like, like almost acting like she's curious and like kind of yeah. into it she's like no no you can tell me it was like really like wild i yeah. give her all the props in the world because like, she's i would have so been brave. so busy stabbing him <laughs> with whatever was around that i would not have been able to do this but she actually gets some helpful information yeah because he admits to placing a sedative in her drink he even says what it is At that point, she became furious and realized that she had to go to the police. Three months after the rape, Patty filed an official police report. However, she stopped short of actually filing charges against Dr. Frank. She feared that the trial would end up being her word against his. And she's worried about future job prospects, which... This is what happens. You get attacked, and then it's you who has consequences in your professional life, in whatever. Yeah. It's... I mean, she's completely right. And so she specifically says, like, look, I'm not going to press charges, but if this happens to someone else, I will. Mm -hmm. And that's totally fair. And this isn't in the unsolved... I mean, this is in the update later. She went and had, like, a blood test. And it came back positive for the same drug that he admitted to giving her. So it's, like, definitive... Like, there's your definitive proof, I guess. So let me see. Where was I? She also feared that she would not be able to find a job if she was involved in a rape case. Finally, she feared that Dr. Frank would harm her if she pressed charges, which he threatened to do so. So I understand. And he knows where she lives. In 1986, four months after her attack, um, Dr. Frank attacked another woman who was a co-worker. She had also been given a sedative. What the fuck? Yeah. He's attacking his co-workers? And he did the same thing. And this isn't mentioned in the wiki, but when he was talking to her in the bar, he said that she was his experiment. So he was, he's literally a serial rapist. Yeah. Perfecting his crime. So this woman was also given a sedative. He admitted to placing a a sedative in her drink. Oh, this is the woman that got the test. So tests later showed that the amount of sedative in her system 
was eight times greater than the amount normally given to patients. I mean, I'm surprised it didn't kill her. Honestly, seriously. It could, I'm sure. This woman immediately went to the police after blood testing confirmed that she had received that sedative. So, yeah. Based on the two victims' testimonies, Dr. Frank was arrested in February 1986 and charged with rape. However, his trial did not begin until December 1989. Of course. He showed up to every court appearance. On December 20th, 1989, he was convicted of two counts of rape. After the trial, he was released on his own recognizance Mm. against the prosecutor's recommendation, and he did not show up for his January 1990 sentencing hearing and has not been seen of since. So the result is that he was captured. In December 2004, an FBI agent working with Interpol located Dr. Frank near Tel Aviv, Israel. However, due to international legal issues, he was not arrested until January 26, 2006. So how long was he free? A long... Since he escaped in 1990 and he was arrested in 2006. Oh my god. During his time on the run, he had married and started practicing medicine in Israel under the assumed name... I'm not even going to try and pronounce it. Okay. He was returned to California and sentenced to 12 years in prison. He has since been released. So he was sentenced to less years than he was on the run. Mm -hmm. He was still practicing medicine. And he was probably still assaulting women. Oh, definitely. I'm not in favor of the death penalty. But if this went down anything like the way they said it went down, I am in favor of skinning this man alive. (laughs) For sure. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. That's, I think, what he deserves, not 12 years in prison. Yeah, and the ability to start a new life in a different country. Yeah, no. Mm-mm. Skin your local rapist. Agreed. Okay. Moving on. So sorry about that one. That was rough. It's rough, and it just, it's really not. And it's just, it's doubly rough because nothing has changed. Yeah, exactly. It's, it just stirs up a lot of emotions because it is such a callous, horrible case. And yeah. To prey on people so deliberately is really terrifying. Mm-hmm. All right. This is kind of a sad one. This is a missing persons. It is the case of Dan Wilson. He was from Spokane, Washington, and it's from August 24th, 1986. So Dan Wilson, he divorced his wife that year, but he remained close because he had two young children and he visited them pretty often. In 87, he experienced... Okay, so he, I'm sorry. He divorced his wife in 86, and then in 87, he suffered from a nervous breakdown, which was possibly linked with his divorce and not coping very well. But by the summer of 88, it sort of seems like he was back on track. Mm-hmm. Um, he was medicated. He had been medicated and was off his medication. Like, people thought he was doing really well. So by June of 88, he was working at the AC... SC machine tool company in Spokane and everything had been fine like he was good at his job and they liked him but then on August 24th for no reason he kind of like snapped and just had like this weird outburst where he was yelling at a supervisor that about like things that didn't really make sense yeah he was very paranoid the things he was saying like I know you people are watching me like yeah like a supervisor like came by and didn't even say something that critical and was like you're always here disrupting my work and I know what you guys are saying about me behind like and the guy was like whoa like where is this coming from yeah so the way they say it is that his work was concerned for him and like said take all the time you need and I was kind of like I'm sure I'm sure. I'm sure they were like, oh, we're just worried about poor old Dan. We hope he... I don't don't know if they, like... We hope he gets the help he needs. Yeah, I don't Mm -hmm. know if they kind of fired him or he was just 
told to take leave without pay or whatever. So he had, like, yelled at his foreman. His foreman. <laughs> and he left work around 11 after this outburst. Mm-hmm. He is not seen again. Yes. He, two days after that, his neighbors have noticed that his sprinklers have been on the whole time. So they just turn them off. And they're like, it didn't occur to them that anything was wrong. I was like, it would never occur to me to go in my neighbor's yard and turn off their <laughs> sprinklers. Like, even if they had been on for two months, I'd just be like, wow. I mean, that would occur to me, but that's only because I'm concerned about water sustainability. <laughs> I would be like, what the fuck? I, I think it would bother me, but I'm not sure I would actually do anything about it. I certainly wouldn't just go on someone's yard. I mean, it seems like if you notice that the sprinklers are on... You're probably noticing that he's not around, so maybe Apparently like not. call in a welfare check or something. Might have been time for a welfare check, um, but they didn't suspect anything was wrong. He was not scheduled to visit his children that weekend, so his wife, ex-wife, didn't notice he was missing. And his mother, Darlene, had tried to call him, but when she couldn't get him, eh, you know, call again later. So it wasn't until Monday when his car was discovered in a remote area of Custer County, Montana. The doors were unlocked. One was ajar. His Bible was on the passenger sheet, and his keys were not in the ignition. The car was more than 700 miles from his house. There was no luggage in it, and no one knew that he was traveling anywhere necessarily. Um, They searched the area, but they didn't find anything. So Dan's family, who seemed really nice and... Yeah. I don't know. They were they reported him missing. They were concerned about him. Two of his cousins traveled to Montana to try to figure out what happened to him. His cousin, Glenda, had visited him at his house two days before he vanished. She had noticed that things were sort of in a disarray, and that was not usual for him. I mean, if you come to my house and things are in a disarray, then you know everything's fine, but... Uh, come to Liz's house, everything's neat and tidy, you're, and you're like, like when what happened? What happened? Um... And then he just seemed sort of agitated and tired. So maybe he, like, mentally wasn't doing well or... But I don't know. It's kind of one of those things you look back on and you go, oh, maybe that was a sign of something, but not necessarily. He said it was just stress from work. Before she left, she suggested that he take some time off to visit his relatives in Longmont, Colorado. So it's possible that that's where he had been going and that's why he was far from his house. They seem to assume that was where he was going. Yeah. Because they said that the like where they found his car was like off the route, but no one actually knows where he was trying to go. Yeah, I find it weird that they're like, oh, we don't know why his car was here. But also, he was probably trying to visit his relatives, but also, this isn't really on the way. Yeah. Mm, I don't- it's all speculation. No one really knows. So, um... They think he was going to visit his relatives, but it's not like his relatives knew he was coming, also. Yeah. So it would have been, like, a surprise. I I don't... I actually don't feel like that's really related, probably. I don't think that's where he was going. Um, He normally took Route 90 south past Billings to get there, but he was on Route 94. So it was not even the same road. Also, he was known to pick up hitchhikers, so... That caused some but concern. Everyone picked up hitchhikers back then. Yeah, my grandfather hitchhiked all the time. Yeah. He's like he hitchhiked across this entire country. He yeah. used to ride the rails. He would like hop on trains. Yeah, I feel like you're. What? Mo- I feel like hitchhikers are more in danger than people who pick up hitchhikers. <laughs> Probably. Also, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, so to find out what happened to him, his family went back to his house in Spokane. 
Um, and he, it was more in disarray than when his cousin had been there. But also, his luggage was still there. His clothes were still there. His cash was there. His last uncashed paycheck was still there. Yeah, it didn't seem like he was going on a trip. He, had, he hadn't brought his toothbrush. He hadn't, like, brought anything. He just got in a car. That's not how you go visit your relatives. It's not how I go visit my relatives. Hey, I brought nothing with me. <laughs> <laughs> um... Also, a mechanic determined that there was a carbon monoxide leak in his muffler, which may have explained the agitation and tiredness and why he was acting unusually. Yeah, carbon monoxide is no joke. Ask everyone, please stop this podcast right now. Check your carbon monoxide detector. Mm-hmm. Test make, it on a regular basis. Make sure your batteries are up to date. I'm going to say this like triple if you rent. Mm-hmm. Your landlord is not taking care of you. No. Test them. All of test them should have them. a little thing you can push to test. Make sure that you have your shit up to date. Yeah, because that shit is terrifying. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, so even though Dan had had uh, some mental problems before, it kind of seems like the carbon monoxide was at least a big contributing factor to this. Because, yeah, it can cause fatigue, changes in personality, confusion, mm-hmm. and memory loss. Because, yeah, a, like a large... Symptoms. We're no expert on carbon monoxide, but my understanding is a large dose can cause nausea and a lot of acute symptoms. But if you just get a small amount of carbon monoxide, like every day, it can cause a lot of problems that'll sneak up on you and that probably don't won't cause immediate alarm. Right. It'll you just be like, you're fatigued all the time. Happening. You don't know why. And yeah, it can cause these mental changes. And especially if he had some mental health issues in the past, right. something like this could only aggravate it, I would think. Oof. It's really scary. Yeah. So, of course, Dan's family thinks he might be suffering from amnesia. Of course. And that he could be somewhere in Montana. They blanketed the state with missing persons flyers. And in November of 88, they received a response, which a homeless shelter in Billings had a desk register that someone had signed in as Dan Wilson. It's not that uncommon of a name. Dan Wilson is, yeah, not a unique name. So they fly there to go talk to this homeless shop based just on that. Yeah. And bring pictures of him. And then they're like, oh, yeah, I've seen this guy. He's... He, lots of guys look like that. Yeah, I don't... And we all know, we've talked about eyewitness anyway. Like, And also, they, they want to have seen him. Right. Like, they want... This little old lady is showing up to the homeless family saying, have you seen my son? Do they want to be like, nope, not him. Like, not consciously. Right. But they they don't want to crush her and be like, no, he's probably dead. They're like, oh, yeah, I've seen him. He's out there somewhere, and he loves you, and he's fine. He just has amnesia. Like, that's the happiest scenario at this point, because it's been months that he's missing. Yeah, that's a good point. Like, I, I don't know if you call that confirmation bias or whatever, but... You would want to say, like, oh, yeah, he's been in here. Like, mm-hmm. don't worry about it. And just show, anyway. We're going to find him. Showing someone a picture is not very reliable. Because, yes, you've seen him. You just saw a picture of him. And our minds can conjure up all kinds of memories yeah. that aren't accurate. So, unfortunately. And we'll hear what the update is, and it'll all make yeah. sense as well. So, the police were sort of looking into whether he had voluntarily disappeared. With what? With nothing? With the clothes oh, you know, on his back? He started a new life. And his cousin was like, I realized he was going through some hard times, but there's no way he would have just left his children. 
he would have at least brought his money like yeah, why he didn't he... cash his last paycheck yeah it, that i don't know why they always entertain that possibility but i feel like in this one it particularly makes no sense so at first his cousin darlene was worried that he was attacked attacked by a hitchhiker but now she thinks that it was really the carbon monoxide the poisoning now unfortunately there was an update this was solved it somehow took until 19 september 1997 but dan's remains were found about five miles from his car and the positive identification had been made through dental records it seems like he wandered off and died of exposure so sad it's just it, he just the, it, the car's just in a like random part of the road there's like no real reason to pull off there i really do think it's the carbon monoxide yeah and he ended up just wandering out and dying alone so terrible it's really really this is terrible. So sad episode you guys it's really really terrible and i dan had a very strange mustache yes not to speak ill of the dead but it was strange patchy very short describe like, it not covering very much of the lip like yeah like a wide hitler mustache but patchier mm-hmm. it was weird like it doesn't go all the way to the edges of the lip yeah I called it the worst. <laughs> I understand, and I'm I'm sure the pressure to have a mustache was great back then. It must have been. You wanted to have a big Burt Reynolds stash, and if you couldn't grow one, maybe you tried anyway, and it didn't work out. I mean, I'm sorry, Dan. I'm sorry no, to R.I.P. point, point that. That's a really tragic case. Please, please, please check your carbon monoxide detectors. I don't think mufflers leaking into cars. I don't think that's as big of a problem. Is, yeah, is the problem it used to be. Cars have a lot more parts and stuff going on than they used to. But yikes, it's just freaky. You can't smell it. It's not like natural gas. So uh, it's deadly. Okay, so our next one is another wanted. And this is a hometown case. Yes, it is. This is, I'm hoping, Samantha and I in the future travel to the past, and this is us. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so, <laughs> but I do have a question about this mystery, and that is, why is there this weird music playing in the background it's, of this segment? It's, um... It's like it, 80s dance music. I don't understand. It makes it seem really... I mean, that's part of why I was like, oh, this is us, because it seems really fun. It does seem really fun. So, an armed gang has been targeting several armored car companies in Minnesota and Maryland. <gasps> mm-hmm. At 1 p.m. on April 18th, 1989, three men armed with guns and wearing very creepy masks robbed two armored cars in Eden Prairie, Minnesota. See, they thought they were men, but they were wrong. It was me and Samantha in the future. <laughs> How could in you the tell? Past. They're wearing those weird white masks. Yeah, yeah. So the men worked together with military-like precision. Okay, this was not us. <laughs> <laughs> As they took the money from the armored car, a fourth man stopped a van in front of the car, preventing any escape. This man also placed a device that looked like an explosive on the hood of the van. In just under a minute, the robbers had stolen close to $1 million and vanished without a trace. It's pretty impressive. It kind of is. It was very coordinated. The bomb squad was dispatched to the scene. The the bomb was carefully removed and examined. It was kind of... I mean, maybe this is how they dismantle bombs or whatever but they just had this like apparatus of strings where they like lifted the bomb into the air and it turns out it was fake but yeah i now don't i think they have robots do it i think so which is pretty cool yeah why didn't i go into the bond disarming robot business i don't know i think it's too late for me it's definitely too late for me <laughs> 
so it was determined that the device was a fake. The FBI. Which I just think is smart. It was smart. So the FBI linked this phony bomb to a similar device used in a Baltimore, Maryland robbery three years earlier. Basically, what they said was the bomb was a very clever delay tactic, which it must have taken forever to string up those strings and lift it into the air and figure out it was fake. They're so concerned about the bomb that the robbers are getting away. Yeah, exactly. So in the heist, the thieves made off with over $600,000. That was the Baltimore, Maryland one. The FBI concluded that both robberies were committed by the same gang. I love that they're calling them a gang. What should we do with our $600,000, Samantha? Make a capybara ranch? You're right. Go on. (laughs) (laughs) So in the robberies, the gang effectively covered their tracks. The vehicles they used had been stolen, wiped clean of fingerprints and other evidence, and then abandoned. One year after the Eden Prairie robbery, the gang struck again. (gasps) On March 27, 1990, and just when you're imagining the reenactment, just also imagine thumping dance music in the background. Because <laughs> that's how this segment went. I, that's never been... They've never done that before. It, it was it was a With good reenactments. time. Yeah, it was crazy. So, um, yeah, March 27, 1990, they went after an armored car in Burnsville, Minnesota. Shout out, Burnsville. Just 10 miles away from the last robbery. As one Brinks guard guard waited in the cab, that's the company, the other made a cash pickup at a local bank. As the second guard went in towards the bank, two of the robbers approached him and ordered him to the ground. The driver noticed this occurring and then saw a white van pull up in front of him. The driver of the white van began firing at the armored car, which, it's armored. I don't know what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah, that's not going to work. Bad plan. The driver decided to flee, which, wouldn't you just stay in the armored van? I would. This is like when people shoot at Superman and it doesn't work and then they just like throw their gun at him. (laughs) What's the point? Yeah. Like, I have to imagine that those armored vans also have pretty advanced locking mechanisms, wouldn't you think? I would. So someone can't just come up and open the door? (laughs) That would defeat the purpose. Why wouldn't you just stay? I don't know. I'm not an armored van driver. I don't know. Ooh. Should I become an armored van driver? Oh, he started... Okay, I'm obviously already forgetting how this went down. He didn't flee on foot. He tried to flee in the vehicle, and he hit the, uh, he hit the white van. Oh. So, yes, I watched this yesterday. Yesterday, I already forgot what happened. That's <laughs> <laughs> fine. So, the white van's driver fired several times at the Brinks driver, but missed, which doesn't even matter if he had hit it. It was armored. And yeah. Anyway. Uh, the Brinks driver circled around to see if his partner was okay. Confirming that his partner was uninjured, he drove over and struck the gang's other vehicle. Despite the collision, the gang still managed to get away. Fortunately, no one was injured. Can we name our capybara ranch Wolfgang von Snowden? Sure. Or we can name a capybara Wolfgang von Snowden. <gasps> and then put a fake mustache on. Heck yeah. That's required. <laughs> All of them wear fake mustaches at all times. It's going to be really... Like, this is Sheriff Pat Garrett. It's going to be really hard This to is enforce. Melvin Belly. <laughs> Belly. <laughs> Belly. So the robbers abandoned their getaway car behind a nearby shopping center. It is believed that they had another vehicle waiting nearby, which they used to escape. A search of the surrounding area proved unsuccessful. A day after the robbery, another one of the gang's stolen vehicles was discovered... Less than a mile from the bank, no evidence was found that could identify them. Suspect number one was six feet tall, with blonde hair, possibly a false beard. Possibly. Mm. It was convincing. Mm. And would today be in his late 50s? Then they described the other suspects. 
There's no description available for the fourth sub- suspect. None of them have ever been identified or located. Yeah, because we traveled back in time again. Mm-hmm. So this was never solved. Um, in December 1990, a similar armored car robbery occurred in Chitkawaga, New York. Okay. Definitely pronounced that wrong. The robbers professionally executed the robbery using two vehicles to block the truck. The FBI suspected that it may have been committed by the gang that committed the Minnesota and Maryland heists. In August 1997, another armored car heist was committed in Minneapolis. The FBI looked into the possibility that it was also committed by the gang. However, no suspects have ever been identified. I'm trying to add a little party atmosphere. That's nice. That's nice. <laughs> never, unsolved. Unsolved. They never caught these guys. They're just rolling around and they're a pile of money. A lot of robberies profiled on the show were never solved. Yeah, it seems like Unsolved Mysteries did a great job of solving a lot of cases, but not these big robberies. Yeah. Those, like, career criminals that are, like, really know what they're doing. If you're tunneling into a bank. You're going to get away with that. Like a, like a naked mole rat. So children who are listening, really hone those skills. Yes. Learn to pick locks. Learn to uh, make fake bombs. Learn. <laughs> now we're I'm on a watch list. Thanks literally for encouraging crimes. <laughs> uh, victimless, I mean, victimless crimes, please. Yeah. No violent crimes. Just take money and start a Kathy Bear ranch. Take money from rich people. I don't give a shit. Yeah. Robin Hood did it. So can you. Yeah. That's how we'll end this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Okay, we need to rate this well. Yeah. Mysteriousness. Not, not very not mysterious. mysterious. I don't really care who those robbers are. I hope they enjoy their their coin. Yeah. Um, reenactments. Poor Dan. We know what happened to him. No. Oh, reenactments. Oh, I just rushed through that. You were like, whatever. Thumbs down? Thumbs down on mysterious. It wasn't very mysterious. Thumb, reenactments are fine. This was basically an episode of America's, Got- America's yeah, Most Wanted. Yeah, it's not... Oh my goodness, we didn't even rate the I know, episode. I was just thinking about that. We didn't give it a Robert's decorating. We're both really tired, everyone. We're not good at this. Our heads are not in the game. Wow. Anyway, okay. where are we? Reenactments. They're fine. They're fine. This is an America's Most Wanted, basically. Fashion. Um, we, there were some good fashion moments. I, I will mean, say. okay, you've got our MVM, which is the guy with the mullet, jet black mullet, working the computer makeover. He was also wearing a very eighties suit. Um, Unsolved Mysteries gifts. If you could get us a gift of that, that would be fantastic. Please. Okay. Um, other than that, none of the fashion really stands out. Not really. In the bar at the very beginning of the... Oh, that's true. Actually, the reenact- the reenactor, the actress playing the victim in your horrible doctor rapist case, had the perfect example of crimped hair. Yes. Where... You might look back on crimped hair and be like, ew, why did anyone do that? On her, it looked great. Mm-hmm. She was doing it right. Yeah. So it was I guess, hard to get that right, but she did a good job. I mean, did a team of professionals work for three hours? Probably. Probably but it looked fantastic. Crimping every strand of hair. <laughs> um. So I guess thumbs up. Yeah. I mean, oh, the, the computer makeover reenactment thing is honestly one of my favorite things I've ever seen in my life. It's just pure, unadulterated cheesiness of something that people really thought looked cool and good. <laughs> yeah. Like... It's so pure and unironic, and I just don't know that we can ever get back to that place. I know. We probably never will. No, because the world's going to explode way before that comes back. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. How do you rate Robert Stack in this one? He was barely in it. I know. So I do think the high-waisted pants featured in this so episode. So high. Like, 
it makes me think that he had to pull up his pants and like f- cuff them because it's flooded <laughs> like that's how high it is that is kind of what it looked like yeah it's it's not a great look so yeah can we move it sideways yeah I'm, anyway yeah Ooh. maybe we should rate both of these episodes yeah i cannot so, believe we spaced on that i must I have been babbling about on our something. robert stack rating system the last one was okay i like the last one bermuda, more than this one bermuda triangle it was yes. bermuda triangle yeah i give that one a three i give that one a three this one i'm thinking of a two just because my first mystery was infuriating and fair, yes. which you know maybe i shouldn't fault unsolved mysteries for that um but also the missing per your missing person was My missing person is very long it was for a missing kinda person way too long it it's most of their missing person segments like this are not this long and they really followed the family searching for him for a long time yeah and i i don't want to dismiss their struggle and how sad that must have been but it wasn't really that interesting or informative. No. I don't know that it all needed to be in there. I don't think so. And I don't know that it helped them find would have helped them find him if he was even able to be found. So. I feel like they kind of skipped over the carbon monoxide point, which is the kind of the crux of the story. Yeah, kind of. And I don't feel like they highlighted like how that was getting in the car or the effects of that enough. No. So I don't feel like that was well done. I actually think your rapist story was well done it's just so disgusting and makes me so angry that i never want to watch it again yeah so i i don't know if i would give this episode a three maybe a two two and a half maybe i guess yeah it's too too many wanteds and i actually think that the, the yeah that one part was done well but can i tell it's done well when my eyes only seen red it's hard and all i dream of is the blood of my enemies i also don't necessarily like an episode that's basically all wanted yeah because i would just watch america's most wanted if i wanted that yeah like where's the paranormal where's the even the missing persons case they try to make like a wanted acting like some hitchhiker killed him because then i'd be like oh well now we need to find the hitchhiker right like right they kind of almost treat it like a wanted yep so yeah it's not my favorite yeah so in the end not my favorite episode of you Unsolved don't have, Mysteries. You don't have to rush out and see this, you, but you just have to watch the clip of the computer makeover. I'll for sure put screenshots on Instagram, so if you don't want to watch it, you can man, check oh that man, out. Is that Perhaps good. it's you. And don't fall for old, creepy businessmen with fake German accents. Mm-hmm. Ew. There's a lesson. Gross. Just bone them. If you want to bone them, that's fine. I mean, just don't give them to money. Each their own. Yes. If that's what you're into, fine. <laughs> We're just saying, don't give them money. Yeah, when they need fifty thousand dollars, definitely t- don't give them fifty thousand dollars. If to- they need ten bucks to get home, fine. Yeah, to get them out. But yeah, to get them a new bird to yeah. go home. Okay. T- when they ask for fifty grand, t- tell them to go to the bank. Mm-hmm. Say you're a white man. Surely the bank will give you a loan. Yeah, yeah, and that's how exactly how I want you to say it. <laughs> okay this is the part of the show where we do recommendations yep what do you got um i was hard pressed to think of recommendations this morning Same. is that why i talked about cranberry sauce last episode i stand by we've recommended stranger things you should make your own cranberry sauce but it also occurred to me that i bought something cool for the halloweeny season which is oh no it fell down this robe Ooh. I have a velvet black robe in my hand that on the back has a giant jack-o'-lantern face. 
also out of velvet. I love that the orange. nose of the jack o' lantern is an upside down heart. I know. Where and did it's you get that? Huge. Well, that's my recommendation. Ho 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 ho. It's a company called Fox Blood, which is a small, like, independent clothing company that makes, like, goth clothing, including this amazing robe. I love it so much. Which is so fuzzy and lovely. And they make their clothes in Los Angeles, which I just think is cool because not that many clothes are made in the United States anymore. So it's handmade. And um, I wore this to, like, a drag thing, and it felt, you know, super appropriate. I'll probably wear this, like, all year round, honestly. You should. Even though it's a robe with a jack-o'-lantern face on it. I just think it's really cool. Halloween is a lifestyle. It kind of is. For me, anyway. I really like it. So, yeah. What other stuff can you find on their website? Basically anything black. Okay. (laughs) Any sort of... It's pretty much women's clothing. Yeah. Um, But any sort of, like, black asymmetrical tunic you've ever wanted in any style... They I like make it. it. Lots I like of it. yeah, dresses, other things. Um, they don't have like a huge selection because I think they're just making it all themselves. But I think that's really cool. That is super cool. Yeah, something I want to support. I think it's something I just randomly saw on Instagram and went, "There goes my money." <laughs> just fly that that emoji of your money just flying I away. I can relate. I was like, "Well, I am gonna need." I think I do have a problem with retail retailers are calling like any kind of robe a kimono. What? You know what I mean? Have you seen that? Yes. And, and like, yeah, you're right. That's, that's not, not a kimono. No. It's just a robe. It's just a fancy robe. I, mean, I get that you're supposed to wear this like outside of the house. Though, will I definitely lounge around inside the house in this? Yes. <laughs> I get that it's not a bathrobe. But still, but that doesn't make kimono, it a kimono. Which is a specific thing. Yeah. White people. Anyway, that's my recommendation. Fox Blood. All right. Out of Los Angeles. I'm recommending a book that I actually have right here. Ooh! It is the book, uh, it's relatively new. It's called I'm Afraid of Men by Vivek Shreya. <laughs> I love the title! So Vivek Shreya is a trans woman, and I've heard this book described as a manifesto, which okay. I kind of love. It wasn't, um, to my knowledge, the author hasn't called it that, and it wasn't on like the Goodreads page, but I heard about this book via a booktuber I watch. I can't remember which one now, but someone on YouTube was talking about this book. Okay. Giving a rave reviews. It's a super short book you could read in one sitting i did it is a series of letters that vivek has written to various men that she's interacted with throughout her life and it kind of uh details some interactions she's had when before when she was a, basically when she was a boy and then when she was a be, became a woman uh-huh it's funny it's insightful it's heartbreaking i really recommend everyone read it it's so good um she talks about which i think is a really important thing to talk about which is where how she experienced masculinity throughout her life okay so how she was basically not masculine enough when she was a boy and then too masculine now that she's a woman and you know she talks about twitter interactions she's had with men interactions she had when she was a boy being you know bullied and things like that it's really good it's funny and the i can read you the little blurb in the inside oh yeah 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 A trans artist explores how masculinity was imposed on her as a boy and continues to haunt her as a girl, and how we might reimagine gender in the 21st century. Um, Vivek Shreya has reasons to be afraid. Throughout her life, she's endured acts of cruelty and aggression for being too feminine as a boy and not feminine enough as a girl. In order to survive childhood, she had to learn to convincingly, convincingly perform masculinity. As an adult, she makes daily compromises to steel herself against everything from verbal attacks to heartbreak. 
Now with raw honesty, Shreya delivers an important record of the cumulative damage caused by misogyny, homophobia, and transphobia. Hmm. It's really good. I really, really like it. Um, I need to see if she has written other things. I'm pretty sure she has. Um, I think she might be a professor, but I'm not totally sure. Anyway, it's really, really good. A quick that read. sounds great. Um, yeah, I like it. I'm recommending it. The title alone, come on. I, the title is killer. Yeah. And I love the like graphic of the book cover and everything. Yeah, it's, it's so good. It's a whole thing. I love it. When I was talking last episode about the Twin Cities zine fest... Like, you hear people make fun of the concept of safe spaces, which is, it's ridiculous that you would make fun of people for wanting to feel safe. Yep. But the Twin Cities Zines Fest is, like, very interested in creating a safe space. And I have to say, that was the most, like, happy, comfortable environment I have ever been in, where, like, everybody was expressing gender however they wanted to. And they felt free and safe to it do so. It just was, like, so relaxed and nice, and everybody was in such a good mood and was so friendly and, like, was queer and had a mohawk and was just living their best life. And I was like... Why can't the whole world be like this? I was like, this is the future we could have if we just let it. If we just let people be. This is how everything... Because, like, I've never seen ha- people happier or friendlier. Wow. And... I heard a story that some old man was, like, in an elevator. He's like, I got to get out of here. They're worshiping Satan upstairs. <laughs> and I was like, perfect. Yes. yes! <laughs> so I would, I, I have to read that book. It sounds you great. You can borrow it. I'm not, I've already read it. Okay. In I fact, will. I brought it because I thought you might want to borrow it. Oh, thank you. So I'll just leave it here. Perfect. All this right. all works out for me. Should we plug our shit? Yes. Um, we are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Perhaps it's you. You can email us, perhaps it's you podcast at gmail.com if you have a paranormal tale or you just want to tell us how awesome we are. We'll take it. We only accept five-star reviews. Please under, rate us on Apple Podcasts. We would we, really appreciate it. We, we need those reviews. We need those ego boosts. It helps our ego and it also helps the algorithm. So everyone wins. Yeah. And what else? Patreon.com slash perhaps it's you is where you can toss a little bit of money our way and get some extra stuff, including bonus content. We're watching SVU this month. I'm so excited. Super excited. We just did the TV show Millennium. We've done um, Occult Crimes. We've done Kitchen Nightmares. Which makes total sense. We've done The Ghost Report. Mm-hmm. We've done, a, you know, some Unsolved Mysteries adjacent things. Yep. And we'll continue to do so every month. And if you just toss us a little bit of money, you will get to listen to those episodes. Yeah. And I think that's pretty much all we have. Oh, thanks, five listeners. We love you. We love you. Go check your carbon monoxide detectors. Bye. And also solve mysteries. Bye. <laughs>